When life is confusing and it's hard to understand, Jesus brings good news of great joy for all people. Our Savior has been born. Friends, this is clear. Even when we don't understand, we treasure and trust His plan. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. This morning for our scripture reading, we'll be looking at Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. And I've asked Davis Williams to lead us in our scripture reading this morning. Luke chapter 40. Chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. This is the word of the Lord. Every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why are you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all of these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. What do you do with Jesus after Christmas? If you're like me, you've listened for weeks to Christmas music on Magic 98.9 or Spotify. You've heard the passages of his birth, perhaps here at church or elsewhere. You've done the Christmas parties. You've bloated your trash can carts with Christmas morning cardboard and tissue paper. Now save that bag for next year, perhaps. Christmas is over. It's December the 27th. New Year's is five days away. And we're in that slice of time that that has a different gear. It's an in-between time, and it it can be a feel-good time as well. Work slows down for many of us. Exams are over for college students. School is out. Get to sleep in. New Year's resolutions haven't had time to be broken. Christmas presents haven't had time to be boring or broken. Clemson's number one in the football world and has a chance at a national championship. We've camped out in Luke this Advent season, and earlier in Luke's gospel, there's a feel-good feel. Glory to God in the highest peace on earth to men on whom his favor rests. 
So why does Luke include this passage here in verses 41 through 52? It's the only place in Scripture that describes Jesus as a boy. It's after his birth and before his public ministry. It's an in-between time. But it really isn't feel good if you think about it. The passage that 12-year-old Davis read for us is about the 12-year-old Jesus. And it's confusing. Mary and Joseph don't understand him. He's hard to figure out. He's hard to keep up with, hard to follow. He's confusing, even disturbing. What Luke is doing here is preparing us for the rest of the Jesus story. And he's also really preparing us for those who follow Jesus for what may be on the horizon of our lives as well, the rest of our story. Luke's wanting to teach us that it all may not be feel good. Because this slice of time, this perhaps calm after Christmas and before the ball in Times Square drops 141 feet in 60 seconds, it's only for a few days. It's nice, but it doesn't last. And after the Christmas feel-good season, if you're like me, if you're like Mary and Joseph, you may find Jesus confusing as well. Where things happen in our lives that we don't understand. Where Jesus doesn't explain even why they are happening. And where we have some trouble accepting what we're going through. Struggling to make sense of it. Last Sunday night, First Pres members were sitting in their den watching the movie The Santa Claus with their 12-year-old son James. And, and Rupert said, you know, turn down the volume, I hear something, and it just didn't seem right. And so he went up the stairs to where his 7-year-old Jacob and 2-year-old Bentley and 11-month-old Maddie were sleeping, and he noticed on the walls of his home that the taupe paint color was now not taupe and he noticed that that paint was starting to drip off the drywall. He called 911 and despite the firefighters efforts stood in the cul-de-sac of Innery Circle and they watched their home burn down. What do you do with Jesus then? What do you do when Jesus allows things to happen that they, you, can't make sense of? This morning, we're going to try to answer those questions as we see three things from this passage. First, we're going to see that, indeed, Jesus is confusing. Secondly, we're going to see that, though he's confusing, he is committed. And third, we're going to see that, above all, we treasure him. So first, Jesus is confusing a, a little background. In that culture, there was an intense training and mentoring between a father and a son. At 13 years of age, a boy became a man, 
socially, economically, religiously, morally, and he had all the religious expectations and responsibilities. It's sort of like uh, the modern-day bar mitzvah in Judaism, the same idea. Jesus was 12, and he and Joseph would have been particularly dialed in to what was going on here at the Passover feast. Passover feast was one of the three big feasts in Judaism, festivals. Usually you couldn't go to all three, but you generally went to one, and the feast of Passover was the main one. It celebrated when God delivered Israel from Egyptian slavery. And this was a, a big time of the year. Jerusalem swelled 10 times its normal population to about 200,000 people. And Joseph, was, he was careful to take Jesus around Jerusalem and be real clear on the meaning of the temple and the meaning of the Lamb and what was going on and why. Because when Jesus turned 13, he was shooting with live bullets. It was like a scouting trip, if you will. And in our passage, the Passover feast is completed. It's done. It's like a December 27th. It's an in-between time. The next big feast was Pentecost, waiting for that. But Jesus, as we heard, hangs back to be in the temple and he amazes the top Jewish scholars by asking questions. That's what they did. They would ask questions, and they would be simply amazed at the depth of the questions that Jesus asked them. Now, you might be thinking, why didn't Mary and Joseph know? Probably not going to win Parents of the Year. I mean, their boy's not with them. What's up with that? Well, it, it really wasn't like the movie Home Alone where Kevin McAllister situation where everyone's running around frantic, getting up, trying to get to the airport, and they just simply forget about Kevin in the attic. Back then, when going to an event like the Feast of Passover, they traveled in groups or in caravans of extended families and by villages and by towns, and they walked and they traveled together both for protection as well as camaraderie, for friendship building. And the women and the younger children would go in the front, and the men and the older children would hang in the back. And so Jesus at 12 was sort of in that, that in-between age. He wasn't necessarily young, young, like the women and children brought who could walk, and he wasn't going to be applying for his beginner's permit at the DMV anytime soon either. He was 12. It, it's sort of like maybe at Christmas dinner. He could either have sat at the kids' table for dinner or at the adult table, the big table. He could go either way, and it would have been fine. So Mary assumed that Jesus was with the older children in the back, and Joseph assumed that Jesus was with Mary and the younger children at the front. You can see how that could have happened. Back then, they, again, traveled in web of networks. It was more communal. All the adults sort of had responsibility to parent all the children. That's how they lived back then. And by the way, when you stand up for a baptism for Martin Gary and say, we promise and covenant to do that, that's sort of what you're doing as God's community. 
The caravan would agree on where to stop, and at sunset they would go to camp. Houston, we have a problem. Where's Jesus? First night, they rendezvous at camp. No Jesus. You can't travel at night. So they get up, Mary and Joseph, at the crack of dawn and foot it 20 miles back to Jerusalem. Takes them a third day to actually find Jesus. And when they do, what does verse 48 say? What, what do they observe about Jesus? It says... They were what? They were astonished. And Mary says to Jesus, in essence, why have you disrespected us? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And we, we lose a bit in our English translations. Uh, anxiously searching has this idea of deep anguish. Of, of sorrow, of suffering, uh, a, a panic attack even. Why have you done this? And as his parents, and those of us who are parents and maybe have lost children before in a crowded area, we know that feeling of despair and terror. Mary and Joseph were frantic and desperate. How does Jesus respond? Look at verse 49. Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying. They were confused. A heads up here, for Jesus to refer to God as my Father was mind-blowing to Jewish ears. It was category smashing. You just didn't do that. Nowhere in the Old Testament is Jesus referred to as Father as a personal address, as a relational uh, component or dynamic. He's referred to Father 19 times, but it's all in relation to Father of nations. You see, my Father, in that way that Jesus refers to him, is far too intimate and far too personal. So when Jesus said, I had to be in my Father's house, he's doing a couple things. First, he's saying something about how God interacts with his people in a way that's never been thought of before as father. You recall what Jesus says later in Luke's gospel. He says, this is appropriate for Christmas, which one of you who though you are evil as parents knows how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does a father desire to give good gifts to his children? But he's advancing that idea that God is Father and God can be entered into in a relationship with of love. And secondly, he's saying when he says, I had to be about my father's business or in my father's house, he's saying that God as Father changes his own relationship with his earthly father. 
it makes it less important. He's saying that he really, really doesn't have to obey Mary and Joseph. His obedience is voluntary. He's coming into what scholars call his messianic consciousness. It's a big word, basically meaning he's understanding that he's set apart, that he indeed is a son of God and has a mission. He's saying, I will obey you even though I don't have to. Why? Because he's saying, I'm older than you. Think about it. That's the first time a child can say to his parent, I'm older than you. And Jesus is saying that a personal relationship with God as Father reorders all other relationships. With Mary, with Joseph, with others. And by the way, because it does that, it can make things confusing and it can make things messy. First, Jesus is confusing and it begs the question, if Jesus is confusing, if Jesus is disturbing, why should I follow him? I mean, really? As you glance at your watch, you've done great. We've done the heavy lifting. Stay with me for 12 more minutes. Because you've got to get that when we follow him... Even when it doesn't make sense, we do that because Jesus is committed to us. Jesus was understanding the bigger plan. Didn't you know that I had to be in my Father's house? I had to be. Jesus is saying, literally, it is a necessity. There is a plan. I'm to be about that. It has to be. That's why I'm here. It's a plan of salvation. I've got to get on with it. You see, he was obedient to his parents, even though his allegiance and even though his mission was far more reaching than a small home in Nazareth. He was committed to being about his father's business for your sake and for my sake. Jesus is saying to Mary and to Joseph and to you and to me, you may not understand, but it's part of a plan. Friends, here's the confusing, the disturbing truth that Mary and Joseph experienced when they lost him. And here's the disturbing truth that perhaps we may know today. Jesus will confuse us on how we think he should behave in the world and disappoint us on how we think he should treat us in our lives. Because if you're like me, the reason that is confusing and that's disturbing, you have the, the tendency to think, I've given my life to Christ, I'm going to live for him. I do good things. I gave to the angel tree. I showed up at church two days after Christmas. I dropped a five spot in the Salvation Army's 
kettle at Haywood Mall. I don't cheat on my taxes, at least too bad. Therefore, God should answer all my prayers. God should bless me. And I should never experience pain, suffering, or panic attacks. That's a false premise that you and I perhaps noodle about and play in our heads. But friends, the reality is that December 27th next year, some of us will have lost jobs. Some of us will have health issues that we never saw coming. Some of us will have to untangle the consequences of a decision of a family member that has devastating effects that Richard prayed about in his prayer. Some of us will no longer be driving a car because we're not able and our sense of freedom is taken away in independence. Some of us will no longer be married. Some of us will no longer be able to remember that we're married. And I don't know where you are right now in these days between Christmas and the new year. You may be basking in post-Christmas glow. It may be a feel-good time for you. Or you may be burned by the holidays and all the junk that it stirs up with you. Friends, wherever we're at, there will come a time where you, like Mary, maybe not audibly, but say to Jesus, why are you treating me like this? And you may find that Jesus doesn't give you much of an answer. Or his answer back to you is a rebuke. His answer confuses you. Are you ready for that? Number one, Jesus is confusing. Number two, Jesus is committed to those he confuses. And third, Jesus is to be treasured, verse 51. And that's all I'll say about that. Because some of you are maybe here this morning because you're visiting family and before you hit the road or before you go to the airport, you wanted to be agreeable and come to church, but you really don't buy into this Jesus thing. He's confused you and you've written him off. Jesus' plan for you is to receive him as your Lord and Savior because he's committed to you, even in your doubt. Some of you are here this morning and you don't know why Jesus has allowed you to go through certain things in your life. Things that have caused real heartache and you don't understand, you're confused. Let me remind you that as Jesus walked the streets of Jerusalem as a 12-year-old, he had a notion that he would one day walk those same streets as a 33-year-old carrying a cross a cross that bears your confusion, a cross that carries your sins, a cross that is for your heartache. 
And when he sat down at this fast Passover feast with this sacrificed lamb, he was realizing that he would, as John said, be the lamb that takes away the sins of the world, yours and mine. So this morning, listen to what the angel says earlier in Luke chapter 2. Don't be afraid when life is confusing and it's hard to understand. Jesus brings good news of great joy for all people. Our Savior has been born. Friends, this is clear. Even when we don't understand, we treasure and trust his plan. Pray with me. Lord, you are the Savior of the, Lord, of the world. You are the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And this morning, we come face to face with the fact that you're not predictable. That you allow things in our world and in our lives that don't make sense. That we struggle with. And yet, you're obedient. You submit to those you confuse. Ultimately, as Paul says in Philippians 2, you became obedient. You submitted to death, even death on a cross. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is clear. And so this morning, Lord, you don't give us an option that you're just one religious figure among many to be chosen as many ways to get to God. You're the Savior of the world. May we embrace that. May we trust that. May we treasure that. This we pray in His name. Amen. Hi, my name is Richard Gibbons. I'm one of the pastors here at First Presbyterian. If you are wondering what First Presbyterian Church is like, one of the things you will discover is that each time you come, you will receive a very warm welcome. I have the pleasure of assisting with a number of ministries here at this church. I teach five new member classes a year. also help to lead mission trips to the Dominican Republic. And uh, we at this church do a number of things that impact our community. It's a wonderful place to serve. It's a wonderful place to belong. My main responsibilities include family ministries, which is marriage, men's ministry, and young adults. I also have the joy of serving the night worship service. My passion here at the church is to point others to the love and grace found in Jesus Christ. My particular job is in education, uh, whether it's adult education or youth or children. I have something to do with it uh, and would love to talk with you at any time about the things that you can learn from the Bible in our education courses here at First Presbyterian Church. Congregational care covers a lot of ground in a, a church like ours. Essentially, we believe that uh, the mission of the church is to care for one another uh, as well as to outreach in the community. So our desire is to provide for the spiritual, emotional, and physical care of the members of our congregation and extend that also to the needs of our community. I'm Tina Jones. I'm the director of the children's ministry here at First Presbyterian. Scripture says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. We have a very vibrant children's ministry. When you come on a Sunday morning, your children have not just childcare, 
We also offer ministry. One of the amazing things about First Presbyterian is our location. We are situated at the heart of Greenville, a growing and vibrant city. Everything from children's ministry and youth ministry to a prayer ministry and being very active in the community gives us an opportunity to spread and share the love of Christ. If you are looking for a Sunday morning experience that is engaging, vibrant and life transforming, please come and join us. Thank you.